My name is Tony James, Entertainment Director here at the Great Crescent Lounge, and I wanted to share with you our June events. We have Jackie Hell, the one and only drag queen amongst the streets since the 90s. She's becoming 54 years old. She's doing a Studio 54 Thursday, June 15th show. It's going to be wild. My band Lady L80 is going to be performing. Mother Charlatan, Betty Black, Vady Justice, and special guest Liza Minnelli. Quaalude wishes and cocaine dreams, baby. Yaza, yaza, yaza. Upstairs is going to be the Dancing Queens here. We also have our Pride lineup, which is going to just be amazing. Come visit us June 23rd through the 25th. That is the weekend of Pride. The whole weekend is called the Mirror Ball. Be the person you want to see in the mirror, baby. That's how we want to see you. Friday, June 23rd, 2 p.m., we open. Fry Gay Karaoke Showcase, the best of our Fry Gay Karaoke community. We'll be singing it out from 5 to 8 p.m. with me, Tony James. Tony James Seattle on Instagram, if you'd like to follow me. Get Freaky on a Friday, hosted by Amber Marie. Spotlight performances by the top five IKF Karaoke Cup International Contest. That starts at 8 p.m., our finals for this contest will be this Thursday, May 25th. You'll be hearing this after the fact, but we're going to have some contestants, 19 contestants going up against each other. Saturday, June 24th, 2 p.m., Mirrorball Dance Party with DJ Panzas. 5 to 6 p.m., Pure Pleasure, 100%. Paris's burning soundtrack mixed with House of Extravagant Midwest Origin, whatever that means. DJ Frankie Dietz at 6 to 7 p.m., 90s House Hits Sparkled with... Dirty Deets and Sweaty Bass Heavy Hits. DJ Muff Driver. That's right. You heard that right. <laughs> 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. And that's the first time we're doing a non-karaoke event for Pride. It's dancing all day long. Karaoke starts at 8.15, hosted by the Lady Diana. And then we have our Sunday, June 25th, Sunday Hangover Brunch. We open at 2 p.m. Pigs in a Blanket, 3 to 5 p.m. Free pancakes and sausages while supplies last. Get here early. Mimosa and Bloody Mary specials all day. Sunday, fun day karaoke hosted by the legendary Julia Dupoon. The singing starts sometime around 4 p.m. 8 p.m. Queerdo Cinema Karaoke hosted by Eva. What is that? You're just going to have to come and find out. No cover all weekend. Happy Pride and thank you for doing this Die Bark podcast. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to The Big Show. This is Dim Lights and Stiff Drinks and Diet Bars of Seattle. We're interested in those roadhouses, watering holes, slash taverns, slash karaoke bars with a long history and an interesting backstory. And as always, we're not recording this with five people in five different places, are we? No. No, we're in one place, which is the place where we're hanging one on. We are live. We are live. We record live and hang one on in places where bad decisions and future regrets are made. This week, we're at the Crescent Lounge in Capitol Hill. And this is a very special episode of Dim Lights because Crescent was kind enough to invite us to come on down and profile their bar here on the eve of Pride Month. Let's do some introductions. To my left is resident historian Brad the Stash Panda. Hello, everybody. To my other left is Bob Trombley, producer Supreme, driving the bus, getting us home. Hey now, hey now. And to my other right is uh, resident Suds Gourmand, Jeremy. You know, I'm going with... um, yeah, MC MC Disco Ball tonight. MC Disco yeah. Ball. That's your handle this yeah. week. 
Yeah. And uh, if our listener was paying attention, they noticed that I said there's five people on mic tonight, and that's because we have a very special guest in the house tonight. Jory is with us. Hey there. We don't have one historian on panel tonight. <laughs> we have two. Yes. And with us is Jory, a PhD student. Double your money's worth tonight. Yeah. Yep. With a focus on local queer history and, and architecture. That's right. Jory, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a good thing you're here because before you agreed to come on the show, I was going to do the segment about pride, maybe find some local historical, historical figures that were out or at least out enough in their circle of friends that other people knew about it. And I, once I started researching my hour and a half compared to your PhD <laughs> hours, <laughs> it's a bitch because in the early 20th century, turn of the century, there's scant history about the history because it was beneath the surface of a mainstream culture that was discriminating and perhaps wasn't even aware. So did that make your job twice as hard in doing your research? It absolutely did. Yeah. You really have to dig through the history to kind of get because it's it's subversive spaces, right? It's the cool spaces that these people hung out, and that's how you've got to find the history. you got to dig a little bit. That's right, and, and they're not that's writing everything down. It's not on no, the down. A lot of it's on the down low. They're not writing it down. Exactly. Yeah. You know, You're so excited. Let's introduce the owner to <laughs> David cool. with us tonight as well. He was kind enough to invite Thanks, us guys. into his bar. Yeah. We're talking to him. I mean, his father owned it back in the 80s. It was passed on down to you, so welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it, you guys. How long has your family owned this uh, joint? Uh, it's been since the, well, actually the late 70s. Nice. I was wearing bell bottoms and playing with uh, <laughs> Star Wars figures. I wasn't born yet. So, uh, Brad, you want to tell us a little bit about the Crescent? Here we are at the Crescent Lounge. It's the believed to be the oldest gay bar in the city, correct? That's correct. Now, do you know, um, so the Wild Rose opened in 1974. Do you know if it was operating as a gay bar prior to that? I am 90% sure it was not. So this would be the oldest queer bar. This would be the oldest yep. one. What about in the state? Do you think it's the oldest one in the state? Do you know? I would venture to guess it is. Um, I am pretty sure on that one as well. Yeah. Well, the, as far as the building itself, it was constructed in 1924. And I saw something that at first was operating as a carriage house. Do you know anything about that? So actually, that's the part I cannot figure out. It is the mystery. I've heard that from several people. There are no pictures, nothing in the logs that mention that. So it is very much a possibility, but yeah. we haven't uncovered it yet. Okay. Question. So public school. What's a carriage house? So a, a carriage house is like an old-timey garage. Before there were cars, people had the, the stables to put their horses in, and the carriage house is where they put their carriage. That, oh, that okay. might be one, one area where the architecture gives you hints, right? Like, the architecture might tell you that, like, a big, wide door opening could be a hint that, like, okay, these were barn doors, possibly for a carriage house, possibly for something else, right? No, that's exactly it. And so a lot of this work is not written work that you're researching. It's looking at photos, trying to see what cars are in the photos or horses or anything like that, right? Permits even. Yeah. So just trying to piece that together. And sometimes it's hard because you piece it together with what's missing, right? You have to kind of play this detective game of filling in the gaps. It's a lot of fun. It is a detective game, and it is a lot of fun. I, I definitely concur. Well, we do know it became the Arterial Tavern in 1934. This was shortly after the repeal of Prohibition. A lot of places opened, and I've read in a few places this was one of the first places to get a, a liquor license after Prohibition was repealed. I don't know if that you've been able to 
confirm that or not? I have not been able to confirm that, but I also would not be surprised on that, especially because of the shift from Pioneer Square to here as the hot spot and so on. Yeah, yeah. And Deluxe is on the list, too. It's on the list, too, yeah. Do you have any old documents or anything that you inherited with the bar that... Uh, I don't. We have uh, one or two old photos. I think I've shared shared them with you. And yeah. they're, when looking for some stuff on microfilm downtown, yeah. uh, you know, we've come up with a couple little permits here. There, but it's really, really scary. No old uh, filing cabinets in the back or anything like that. Not that we, not that okay. we found. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we know it was the Arterial Tavern, and then in uh, 1942, a guy by the name of Dave Downey became the owner of the tavern. Downey was a former star player of the Seattle Olympics hockey team, and he was a big deal back then. He was kind of a big sports star. I'd never heard of him. What was his name again? His name was uh, Dave Downey. Dave Downey. Dave Downey, Downey. yeah. So I think it was known as Downey's Bar. That's correct. Downey's Tavern. Downey's Tavern. Downey's Tavern, yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal at the time. I think he owned it for maybe a couple years. That's right. Yeah. 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 And then it became the Crescent in 1948. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, one of you guys might be able to help me with this. So, I read somewhere today, in fact, that there was some tiling that had some astrological symbols on yeah, it. There's got to be something that it, behind uh, that. There's could possibly be. signal that this bar was a safe space for people. Have you guys heard like out what front, I'm talking you about? Mean? I don't know. It was a very vague An arrangement. Do you know anything about there's tiles astrological symbols on them there are well i don't know about tiles but there is uh, or has been over the years talks that back i don't know what kind of era but when things were a little more on the down low that it was very common a signal astrological signs were kind of a signal that this is hey this is a safe space you know without it was like advertising without advertising, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Do you know which specific astrological symbols represented, you know, a safe space for... Tourists. <laughs> tourist? You're a tourist? Yes, tourist. No, but it was things, things like the crescent or... Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. like that. Right, yeah. Right, so crescent moons, Almost stars, yeah. right. Okay, cool. like okay. That, that kind of a thing. Okay, cool. So, so people would name their stuff uh, things like... The blue moon, or the crescent, or the yeah. you know whatever, yeah, right? Absolutely, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right, exactly. That is very interesting. And I don't know if you know that that signaling is still very popular in the queer community. Whenever you first meet another queer person, the first question often asked is, "So, what's your sign? What's your rising? All of these things." Oh, so really? it's still very much used. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I wonder where all that started. There is a good crime story here. All right. So, Saints Pilgrims hits with the crime music. So, 1948, same uh, year that it became a crescent, this place had some skylights, and a burglar slid down a rope through the skylight, came down here, and stole a bunch of changers, a bunch of pinballs, and cigarettes and stuff, so he made off. A couple games in for free. (laughs) Yeah, a couple games for free. So this place was robbed. It turns out the break-in was part of a larger crime spree. The same guy was hitting all these bars up here, also going through the skylight, putting the rope down. 
looting the place and then going back up. What, what was he known as the Skylight Bandit? That's his calling card. I don't know. He should have been. That's pretty cool, though. That's kind of Mission Impossible. He's got the rope. Yeah. 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 It's not just a smash and grab. There's right. like some thought into it. Oh, pizzazz to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it. But he was caught. No. And he did a few years at Walla Walla State. Walla Walla. So, so there you go. Now jumping ahead. So. In the 70s, it became owned by a lady by the name of Shirley Mazza. Do you know any, anything before that, like between 48 when it became a Crescent and when she owned it in the 70s? Yeah, so actually there's a little bit of a mystery here that's kind of fun that I've been trying to figure oh, out like for, quite, for quite a while. No one knows who owned it in 1948. So there's this gap from 1948 till 1960. And in 1960, Donald Lothian and Harvey Muggy, who are kind of Seattle heroes for yeah. the queer community in a lot of ways, purchased the bar then. But yeah, I, I desperately want to find out that it yeah. was queer starting in 1948, but yeah. I don't know yet. But That's with those cool. astrological tiles somewhere... It sounds like it's a hint. Been, mm-hmm. So, Shirley Mazur, do you know much about her? And can you tell our listeners what you do know about her? Yeah. She's she, kind of like an interesting person. She's a really interesting character. And she she's kind of sprinkled out throughout Seattle's history. You can actually see in several books that try and write down Seattle's history, queer history. She has quotes everywhere, just of her kind of smatterings or her history or her understanding of queer history but from what i understand she was quite the powerhouse Um, she was very outspoken yes very (laughs) outspoken known in her community and really i kind of look up to to her as a little bit of as like a hero right because she was so outspoken for the queer community specifically for the lesbian community which at that time was a little less out if you will right So, yeah, very, very cool person. And you can see her quotes just in different books, you know, about Seattle's history constantly. Very cool. So we know at some point in the 80s, it morphed into a gay bar, and that's when it was purchased by Harvey Muggy and Donald Mathian. So actually, that would be in the 60s. Oh, that, that they happened. owned it back in the 60s. That's okay. right. Those are some good names, Muggy and Leviathan. Yeah. Right on. Okay, so Wait, they owned Leviathan? it in the 60s, That's right. and then they sold it to Shirley. That's right. And then did they repurchase it? No, not that I know of. So After that, that it went to uh, Vanderpool and Figley, right? Figley. Vanderpool and Figley. That sounds that like a father? New York law firm right there. Okay. Yeah. And then do you know what year did your father purchase it? Do you have it? It's like ninety-four. Yes, somewhere around there, 1974. Okay. Going back to Harvey Muggy and Donald Lothian, they sounded like very interesting people, too. And I, you alluded to them earlier. You know, they were very active in the gay community. Lothian, is that how you pronounce his last name? Leviathan. I, it's either <laughs> Lothian or Lothian, one okay. or the other. Apparently, he also owned the opera. Oh, wow. Same time shit. Mm-hmm. Party it, on. Oh, best bar ever. It can be guaranteed my that favorite. every single favorites. person who almost... Uh, pretty much every person who owned this bar has been some sort of Seattle hero yeah, in some way. way. It's very cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Well, Muggy was the first openly gay person in Seattle to run for public office. Unfortunately, he lost a bid for the State House of Representatives in 1986. But he went on to recruit many members of the gay community to serve on different committees and become active in local politics. And then his partner, 
lobbying worked alongside and behind the scenes. Sadly, both men have since passed, but from what I've read, their estate gifted over a million dollars to the Lifelong AIDS Alliance, which provided housing, food, and health insurance for King County residents living with HIV and AIDS. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, clearly, everyone knows Seattle invented gay philanthropy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well established. We could try and well claim it. <laughs> And then let's talk really quickly about the karaoke here, because a big part of the Crescent right now is it's karaoke. I mean, that's what draws people here. That's what it's known for. So, David, I think you could speak to this. You know, a lot of people have suggested that part of the Crescent's charm is a result of its distinct and unique take on karaoke. So how would you describe the karaoke here, and how does it, how is it set apart from other karaoke bars? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Probably close to 20 years ago now. Um, You've been doing karaoke for 20 years? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we started out, we only had it a couple of days a week. Very common. A lot of bars do that, right? Um, and uh, my eldest brother, Joe, came to us. He said, I got this crazy idea. Let's do karaoke every single day. And we thought, that's insane. Uh, I mean, you think we can get away with karaoke every day? He's like, yeah, it'd be great. No problem. And I said, okay, all right, well. How are we going to do it? So we kind of brainstormed, and Scott, actually, uh, uh, who you met earlier, he was uh, talking with us about it, and we, we just kind of all brainstormed, and we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a different host every single night of the week. Right? Mondays will be one person, Tuesdays will be one person, and they'll all have their own feel, their own kind of theme. You know, this person's very punk rock, that person's kind of country, this person, you know. So people can have a, a variety, right? They might like one host better than the other or one theme better than the other. So we kind of ran with that, and it just it blew up. It was wonderful. People loved it. Um, some people, what night's metal night? Uh, usually Sundays. Nice. Yeah. Sundays are Sorry. currently. Anyway. Last okay. Continue. Yeah, last, last Sunday of the month is our big kind of metal night. Was the Eva. last Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, so, and we've kind of kept that, uh, that formula going over over the years just have, having different hosts and all of our hosts om, almost every single one of them matter of fact everyone Tony is that right every one of them were they're all they were all just from regular customers yeah, yeah. right they were our, our regulars who were like you man recruited. I want to I want to do this you recruited yeah, yeah. we, uh-huh. we want to do this thing we want to be part of the Diane the show right the, yeah. yeah so house. Nice. yeah so and it's just people who love the bar love karaoke they you know they just kind of wanted to be involved so we pulled them all together and you know it's changed you know See, here and there over the years but you're looking around the bar saying you're here every fucking night <laughs> why don't you get up and post yeah, a karaoke i heard you sing too. once it was great <laughs> no it's, you know it's again just people who who love it and just it's, you know want to be part that's part awesome. of it so it's yeah. and it's it, that that formula has worked True out grassroots well. love it that is cool and let's run it around the table i don't have to ask you guys but do you get up and do karaoke i do not jeremy on occasion, after a few beers, Bob, yeah. some liquid yeah. courage. Billy Ocean, Caribbean Queen. All right, good The story in Jory, though, is no stranger to Crescent. No, I come here once or twice a week, at least doing karaoke On about the twice mic? a week. Yes. Yeah. I'm usually choosing some Foo Fighters, so Everlong, you Modern know, My Hero, things thing. like that, or some Paramore. Modern it depends. and newfangled. All right. <laughs> nice. So you're a you're kind of a metalhead, hard rockhead too. I may not look it, but <laughs> it's, 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 right it's inside. Yeah, that's right. Inside. Yeah. <laughs> like it. 
What about you? What's your uh, what's your go-to? Uh, no, I was talking to Jory about this earlier. I'm kind of the scared shitless guy. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know I can't sing. Come on, I'll man. do Johnny Cash. Okay. Like Big River, I can do that. If it's kind of a monotone baritone. You don't really have to sing too much. Yeah. 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 Get a double Jamie. Well, I had to cry. We can yeah. all do that. Yeah. But yeah, no, mm-hmm. too scared to go up there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Not for the faint of heart. It's <laughs> not. So and you probably have getting... some serious people that are here. Like these are my songs. Yeah. I'm here every Wednesday. Yeah. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, the regs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have yeah people who who really really love their karaoke. We have and it's a big mix, right? We have you know people who like they're just up having fun, just get up there, just just sing, having a good time. Uh, doesn't matter. Now when, and then people who sound really really good, like why the hell are you doing karaoke? Uh, you know, <laughs> um, you should be in a recording studio somewhere, and just everything in between, right? And and people love all of it. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just fun. What about you? Do you get up there? Not ever. <laughs> not, 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 not on your life. Here, here's the thing. My, my 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 I have no idea if my dad my dad could sing. I never heard him sing. Uh, he was when he was a young young man. He was a professional ballroom dancer. That kind of wow. ages him a little bit, right? You can tell. Oh how yeah, I think that was. guy gets on the mic. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, you know, he was good friends with Lee Liberace, and yeah. his oh, best friend cool. was the lead. Lead male dancer on the Lawrence Welk show, if, if uh, any of you have ever oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> know what the Lawrence Welk show before. is. Uh, that's been gone for a while, but uh, I know, it yeah. comes up on the pod all the time. <laughs> so surprisingly, so, so he was kind of very show business. He loved he loved producing drag shows, and uh, you know, and he had many bars uh, in his his life in, in around Seattle. But um, but aside from that, uh, the three of us adopted boys, Joe, uh, who's passed away in 2019, uh, and Steve and myself, none of us ever had any business anywhere near a microphone for any reason. <laughs> it was terrible. Well, and here you are on a microphone. Yeah, yeah. Right. Come around. And we're going to change that tonight. <laughs> no, no. Maybe later. Living Maybe for another prayer. episode. More liquid courage. Oh, no. That's yeah, right. That's a couple right. more beers and... Uh, <laughs> Well, Jory, is there any more about the history of the place that you would like to speak about or that we didn't cover? I think you pretty much covered it. I think just the most important part is, you know, speaking about what we just did talk about, about the regulars, that is truly what has made it such a community space, right, is that you've had the same people coming here, you know, once a week, every night, whatever it is, um, and that has truly made an astounding community space, right? I mean, you can't replicate it. Yeah. In a great community too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Well, and I'll, t- and I'll tell you, if you don't, we spoke spoke about Harvey and his partner and Shirley. Just to plug my dad a little bit because well, it's my sure. dad and I. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, he, he in his own right was a, a, a kind of an icon in in the queer community. Um, though he he was a little bit weird because he was always in in the back working stuff from the background. Right, he was never a very public person, um, but he did a lot. Uh, with the community and we you know we still strive to try and kind of keep that legacy up keep it going um i, I don't think we'll ever kind of fill his his shoes but um you know he helped he was a found, founding member of Bailey boucher house and uh, the knights of malta and just nice. kind, of, kind of a bunch of stuff uh, he all constantly in all of his bars not just this one uh, fundraisers seattle children's hospital uh, muscular dystrophy organizations um so not just the gay community, right? Just the community at yeah. large, and that was kind of his thing. He was uh, very, very into philanthropy, but he wanted to do it from the back. He wanted to yeah. be kind of quiet about yeah. it. Yeah, humble. He was yeah. humble about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, you could you that. can look around the Crescent here, and I, I'd say that that legacy is alive. 
it's it's absolutely alive. The the vibe of this place is just fantastic. And I would it say is, I yeah. think I think it's your family. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. that. Well, what I, I love about this place is that it uh, embraces its campiness as well as its dive bar status. Yes, yeah, this is a true dive bar. It is a true dive Hell bar. Hell yeah. Uh, it's a long-standing watering hole where everyone is welcome. In fact, it is the everyone is welcome and kind of come as you are vibe of the place that makes drinking at the Crescent such a unique experience. Above all, it's a middle finger to not only the gentrification of the surrounding neighborhood, but to the <laughs> yeah. city at large. It is a living testament to old Seattle and is nothing less than a landmark in Capitol Hill's cultural history. And to that, we salute you. Cheers. 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 Oh right. shit, my glasses uh, empty, son of a. <laughs> well, it's good timing because we're about to uh, segue into our next segment. You want to uh, go get round two and you come back with where we're drinking, or you, you want to do it's it now? It's kind of sad, though. Like, we, can't, we can't even get to what you're drinking first because we got to get into round two because we've, <laughs> we've been drinking while we're talking. And I'd say that's a good thing, ultimately. It's a good thing. All right, Satan's awesome. Pilgrims, take us out, bring us back. Satan's Pilgrims, thank you for bringing us back, bringing us back hot. That was uh, round two that we're having. Jeremy, what did you get for round two? For round two, Ada, an Elysian Space Dust. This is Classic. the second Elysian Space Dust for, for a number of reasons. One is it's delicious, Elysian Space Dust. You know, great, great beer. Uh, a beer on tap at many dive bars that we have recorded episodes at, but... Unfortunately, the reason I'm drinking Space Dust IPA is because my first choice was out. They they ran out of the Grand Teton Pale Ale, which I was excited to try, but they're out of it due to no fault of the bar because distribution problems with a local Northwest Brewery Grand Teton. So this is, a, a, unfortunately, a fairly common story, and we've mentioned it on a couple of episodes where distribution problems have led to local beer problems at fine dive bar establishments, right? And in this case, Grand Teton is being distributed by a smaller distributor. I can't remember the name. Got gobbled up by fucking Pepsi or something. And they're like, you know what? Yeah, we're going to change our business model, blah, blah, blah. We're going to drop in all these beers and whatever. So gentrification fucks us once again and strips us of delicious Northwest beer. But, you know, the bright side is uh, we got Space Dust IPA on draft. Quite delicious. A Northwest favorite, although they went big, big. And we've talked about it in a couple of episodes. How about you, Lou? What are you drinking? I'm keeping it simple tonight. I'm uh, drinking Crown <gasps> Royal on the rocks. Oh, shocking. Yeah, shocking. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely shocking. Jeremy, you could have just said I wanted two Space Dust because I was trying to get loaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted two Grand Teton Pale Ale so I could get loaded, but wah, wah, the man time. fucked me over. Well, no, those Pale Ales aren't going to get you there. <laughs> I know. We yeah, IPAs. we do. We do like space tests. It's a little, it's little a high Jeremy special. We love it. We love it. No, here's Jeremy. Two IPAs. Yes. <laughs> two space yes, please. Tests, please. Make it a fucking pitcher. What are you drinking, Brad? Uh, you know, I'm drinking a cherished old favorite that you don't see very much anymore. It used to be ubiquitous everywhere, and that is New Belgium's Fat Tire. Fat Tire, yeah. that's right. You that's don't right. see it anymore. You notice that? There's Fat uh, Tire on tap here? Yeah. Yes. No, not only Fat Tire, but another that? one that we talked about that was uh, uh, hot, hot, hot for a minute, and a little, kind of died down a little bit, but still here at the Crescent, 
Widmer Hefeweizen. That's right. Yeah. Nice. I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. You put some lemon in that? Put a lemon in oh, it. Oh, yes. Got to have a lemon. Got to have a lemon. <laughs> Damn yeah. straight. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Jory, what, what are you drinking? Well, I couldn't tell you exactly other than it's that. Crown it's just Royal. A, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say whiskey of some sort. Um, I'm not picky. <laughs> but is it delicious? Oh, absolutely. All right. Always is. We'll get you there. All right. All right. And David, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm having a sh- the Schilling Cider. Okay. Oh, you like the I'm, I'm a cider guy. You're a cider mm-hmm. guy? Okay. Yeah. We, we've had a couple of episodes where we talked about that it, this is kind of a Northwest phenomenon where you can't go to a Northwest dive bar and not find cider, either on draft or at least a good selection of cans, yep. right? So I, 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 I doubt you're going to go to like a you know, Bible Belt dive bar in like, you know, Mississippi or you know, Iowa or something and find a good selection of draft ciders. I could be wrong, but I, I doubt it. What about the White Claw? Do you have any White Claw? <laughs> we definitely have White Claw. Oh, yeah. They have a big cans of White Claw. And some yeah. Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. and some How's Red Bull do? and vodka. Uh, white Claw sells very, very well here. <laughs> People younger, love their White Claw. The younger yeah. kind of set that drinks it? Friday and Saturday night. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The White Claws just fly yeah. out the door. Okay. We're out of White Claw. Someone needs to go down to City Market. The 20 yeah. Well, you know, it's still, it's, it's hard to get the Bartles and James wine coolers anymore, so you gotta, you yeah. know, you gotta have something. Yeah. When, when, speaking of City Market, when did the long, laundromat uh, close? Uh, that's been closed now for, gosh, almost a year probably. Yeah. Okay. R.I.P. to the laundromat. And they, yeah, they, mm-hmm. they they're, they're talking about changing that building so mm. uh, we're not sure where they're at with their plans they've been talking about uh, building a apartment building with retail underneath so original they're, go and wash they're, your, they're prepping wash your clothes there and get a 40 at the city market and wait, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a true capital tradition yeah That's right. well, i think it was what nice. three episodes ago we talked about uh, r.i.p the sit and spin down belltown yeah. right yeah. drinking and laundry God, also r.i.p lather daddy on 12th <laughs> or uh, can't do your duds over there anymore. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Nice. Drinking and laundry is the best combo ever, right? Throw in donuts and you'd never need to wait so for win, win. anything. <laughs> All right. So since we're here on Capitol Hill, we need to talk about where we're at. Mm-hmm. You guys ready for a little where we're at? Blue, where are we at? We're on Capitol Hill on the eve of Pride. So, Jory, I'm going to need your help on this. We should talk about how Capitol Hill became the center of the universe. Sorry, Fremont. I know. <laughs> From what I read, before Capitol Hill, Pirate Square was the place to be. And it was still legal to operate a gay-friendly bar in the city, but it was in Pioneer Square. So payoffs were made and operations were allowed, but at some point it migrated up the hill. Do you know anything about how... It moved from Pioneer Square to Cap Hill? Yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, Pioneer Square was just really busy with queer bars everywhere that you can imagine in Pioneer Square. And then it was kind of, things started to slow down with World War II and things like that. And then in the 60s, there started to be a shift towards Capitol Hill, not just because rent was cheaper here, but just everything, everybody started to migrate to this area. There's a lot of information, too, about kind of what we kind of call the white flight, right, of white to folks. the burbs, you mean? Yep, coming into Capitol Hill, and so... Oh, that was the burbs at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. They were. We're in the burbs. That's yeah. right, that's right. We wouldn't like know. Yeah, and so then just from there, the queer community followed with it, and uh, just as kind of Capitol Hill has been, like you said, the center of the universe ever since. That's really cool. I heard a story that it, it started, there were 
payoffs were allowed and they would allow you to operate a gay-friendly bar in Pioneer Square. And there was a woman who was kind of a high society woman with her children down in Pioneer Square one afternoon and they saw two men coming out of a bar holding hands. <gasps> yeah. Pearls were clutched. Shade lounges were painted on. Did she get the vapors? Bibles yeah. were whipped out. <laughs> Won't someone think of the children? And she knew enough people to make enough of a stink where she was like, this needs to stop. And so it kind of forced the cops' hands because they were allowing it with payoffs. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and at some point, she knew enough people that her complaints became loud enough that they started raiding them. And they were like, well... We got to go somewhere else. If you want a, if you want a, a fun bit of history that ties into Hit the me. present, uh, my dad was at the center of a push against the police department. Uh, that that happened. I think Jory, I sent you the article about it, or the quotes from the article about it, about being fed up with the payoffs to the police department. Uh, at his, he had a bar in Pioneer Square, the Six Eleven Tavern. Oh, right, right. Uh, for many, many years, and and he was at the center of a push against the police department that ended up in, gosh, I don't know. There's several police officials who were indicted, and there's a huge story in the uh, Seattle PI about it when they, they just kind of forced the hand and said, "Listen, all these payoffs have got to stop." There's a group of local queer business owners that yeah. pushed it and, and it turned into just a huge deal. Um, what, what's the time frame of that? Uh, Do you remember, Dory? I don't remember. I think well, it was, yeah, it probably well, would have been the right, 50s. That would have been, that would have been earlier than the 70s, I yeah, think, it would have been um, like because 50s, 60s, Pioneer Square right? had kind of died yeah. out yeah. by the 60s. Um, so I would say earlier than that, 45, 50s, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember it. So, so that's some was, trailblazing shit, right? But there. it was it was a big it was a big push. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. George George Bakken, uh, he was the editor of Seattle Gay News, did a did, did a big piece about it and, um, and and talked about it. And he was, um, you know, kind of part of part of that all pushing it as well. And, and it just it like I said, it just turned into a huge scandal. It was just a big big blow up. It was not. Not great for the Seattle Police Department at that time, but they have a history of Manila envelopes. Yeah, well, it's, it's all the flip side of politics and and cops, right? It's like yeah. you make political inroads, but then you also got to make police inroads, or else you ain't gonna get nowhere. Yeah, um, but yeah. So since we're here and. Uh, on on the eve of Pride, we should talk about uh, 1977. That was the first Pride march. That's a good question. I don't know the exact date on that, but that sounds about right. The parade moved to Broadway in 1982 and marched there for 25 years before mm-hmm. moving back downtown mm-hmm. to Broadway, which rankled a lot of people. But they kind of outgrew the area, right? Which was too bad because it was so cool when it was on Broadway. I know, right? Uh, oh wait. I actually wrote it down. Back in June 74, the opening of the Gay Community Center coincided with the first recognition in Seattle of a Gay Pride Week, celebrated around the anniversary of the 69 Stonewall Riots in New York. Three years later, Seattle's first Gay Pride March took place downtown, 1977. Mayor Charles Royce declared it an official Gay Pride Week in Seattle. So that Um, means uh, next year will be the 50th anniversary. And, and nice. Royer, maybe yeah. I'm jumping ahead, but one of the first state-recognized Pride events. Yeah. Charles Royer. In the nation. Uh, God bless you. So, 
Seattle invented Brian, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, all that's taking liberties. The, the first San Francisco one was 1970, so we can't well, whatever. quite say that here. But um, is there anything you can tell us, Story, about the first Pride or the organizing events that got us? Not got so them much to recognize on that it? end, but I will say that, honestly, Seattle's queer history is so long-standing it's just so hidden right but yes. even mm -hmm. sarah yesler has there's some yeah. history there oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> some yeah. queer and history and the denny party too exactly so you can kind of trace these roots all the way back and honestly sure you said 1970 77 77 was the first <laughs> pride march here but honestly i feel like it just goes back so much more than that, that was the first established yeah, event right, right? yeah but yeah when there's you're talking undocumented there's a lot there's of a undocumented. lot of suppression before that and, and you think about what is skid road i believe it's called but was also known as fairy road right i mean yeah, there's right. some fairy road yep there's yeah. some very distinct history there that uh, can kind of be tracked so as much as 1977 would have been the first Pride March, I think it goes way, it goes before way, yeah. way before that. So Seattle invented gay. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? That's why I moved from Louisiana. And Capitol Hill's embrace for the community continued and deepened over the decades since the 50s. Here at Dim Lights, Joy, we like to point out whenever something originates in Seattle, uh, as Jeremy like just everything. pointed out, like everything in your lives right now, Consumer air travel, computers, ordering shit online to come to your house. That's right. In 1969, the Dorian House opened to provide counseling and employment help for the gay community. And it was the first of its kind in the United States, mm -hmm. which was started by the Dorian Society, Seattle's first gay rights organization. Dorian That's House, right. is that on That's your right. radar? Yeah, you got it. Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Dorian House? That one I'm not so familiar with yet, working on it. Between that one, though, and then the Lambert House. Yes. So hopefully, as time progresses, we'll have more history on the Lambert House as well. And we'll be able to kind of build this uh, kind of composed piece of all of these historic clear spaces in Seattle. I know. That's cool. You got your work cut out for you. Boy, do yeah. I. But hey, it's... interesting history, though. Yeah, and it fun. means I get to be in a dive bar, you know, hey, <laughs> so I can't go, complain. I think you're yeah. staring at the podcast series yourself. <laughs> hey. Yeah. I'll have to practice being on a mic a little bit more for that. I found this other article that was pretty interesting. It was around the time that the Dorian House opened that it rankled a lot of the locals that there was a place that was that um, demonstrative and proud about the, about the community. Yeah. And so that's when you started to see the first articles coming out in the Seattle Times about uh, the community. And this was one from 1966. Here's the headline. Tolerant reputation. Seattle homosexual problem reported to be out of hand. <laughs> oh, yes. And here's the hand. article. It Seattle still is. <laughs> Damn straight out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> Seattle Chief of Police Frank Ramon confirmed and admitted that Seattle's homosexual problem is out of hand. Nothing that the city had become. <laughs> oh my God. It's so quaint so now. You're like, really? It's <laughs> adorable. It's adorable. Yeah. Noting that the city had become known nationally as being tolerant, the word is out that Seattle is soft on homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to let this city get like San Francisco. 
it just cracks me up. And yet, and here we are. From 66, is that what yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, what was the, do you know anything about the relation of like, did the police raid Capitol Hill? Or did they well, you know, kind of let it slide? So this is what I just found out recently. Because I met a guy at one of my local uh, book readings recently, and it turns out he's a gay historian. I think he even studied at the UW. You might know him. But anyway, he was telling me, we were, got to talking about the history of gay bars, and I was asking him, I was like, were they actually illegal at one point? Was like, there are actual laws in the books that made oh, yeah. such places illegal? Yeah. And what he was telling me is that there weren't specific laws that made those illegal. What it was, it was, it was anti-sodomy laws. Yep. That's right. they <laughs> wanted to like use the anti-sodomy laws, then suddenly they were a convenient law to use if they wanted to close an establishment down. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it wasn't necessarily it being, you know, illegal to run gay bars or, or gay establishments. It was pay pay the protection. Right. Otherwise, that you're getting messed with all the time. Exactly. Right? And people, people are just and that's why with your dad you or, stood up and said, "I'm sick of getting muscled." Yeah, yeah so, and that's exactly kudos, right. Kudos to him. Because yeah. for a long time, he did. He they, they paid it just yeah, like everybody so else, right? Yeah. They, they, they stood would, up. They so. would pay all the time, and they just, at, you know, there was just came a point where several of the business owners said. Oh. I, I'm tired of this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Kudos to your dad. Right you on. talked about that a little bit, Brad, in your book, uh, Las Rosa Houses of Seattle. Like, the crackdowns were often, you know, couched in crazy-ass laws, whatever they could, like, latch on to. Whatever they could throw, yeah. Whatever they could. It's like what David's saying. And in some cases, it was, like, money. ridiculous sodomy yeah. laws and stuff yeah. like that. And, and it, you know, they were cracking down on, you know, quote-unquote prostitution and, you know, illicit whatever, and yeah. sometimes it was cracking down on yeah. sorts of stupid shit. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, and to be fair, like, they let it exist. It was kind of like an extra tax. Whereas, yeah, why do you gotta pay an extra tax? It can exist, you know what I mean? This right. bullshit. Well, because, um, Device yeah. Pearl's yeah, going device to test. faint on her yeah, shell lounge if she finds yep. out about this place, but they weren't so Puritan that they shut it down. I ain't paying the tax. That's fair enough. <laughs> right on. So in honor of pride, I dug into the archives and was looking for some gold about Seattle prominence that maybe waved the flag. And you already mentioned one of them, uh, Sarah Yesler, which was super sweet, wife of Henry Yesler, mm-hmm. sawmill magnate. Yep. Opened a sawmill in Pioneer Square, kind of started the city, Skid Road. Uh, Sarah developed a passionate relationship with her friend Eliza Hurd. A letter wrote they to her. They were roommates. They were. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is so sweet. A letter Eliza wrote to Sarah in 1860 survives, and it says, I wish to say so much, and I cannot say anything. I want to sleep with you again! Exclamation point. <laughs> Did you really write that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're just being honest. I want to say so much and I can't say it, but I think you said it quite eloquently. Right? And, uh... (laughs) Another thing, King County. Do you know who it's named after, Brad? Uh, I know this. I I can't think of... uh, I know the answer, but I can't... Martin Luther King. Oh, it was Martin Luther King. No, it was renamed after Martin Luther King in 1986. But there was someone before that. Yes, back in the 1850s, it was named after William Rufus Devane King. I am Rufus. In this heat. Uh, he was a 
popular senator from Alabama, um, briefly served as vice president under Franklin Pierce, uh, 1853. So Pierce County is named after Franklin Pierce, and King County is named after vice president-elect William King. Uh, there's no clear record as to why it was chosen, but the most likely theory is that it was to curry favor from a faraway administration at that time. Sounds about right. The next president after Franklin Pierce County was James Buchanan. William King was widely rumored to be lovers with his inseparable companion, a future president Buchanan. King was a confirmed bachelor, and he and Buchanan lived together for 13 years until King's death. They attended all functions together, King was a big fan of powder wigs long after they were out of fashion, sort of fastidious. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of, um, like others at the time, they so were he, subject to so some... He was a drag so, king. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> Seattle nice. invented drag nepotism. That's right. <laughs> like, it didn't even exist until Seattle came on. He said, you know what? We're naming a whole county after a drag queen. King. Like others at the time, they were subject to some cruel jibes. Andrew Jackson, who was president when they were both congressmen, called them Miss Nancy and Aunt Fancy at the White House. That's just offensive. Come on. So, Come yeah. on now. King County is named after a out and proud I did not know that. vice president. That is cool. Good history, yeah. Lou. That good history. Who was, um, and that was the first and trying, only gay president that we know about. Yeah, yeah. Always learning, <laughs> always learning new stuff. All right. Uh, the casino. Have you ever heard of that? No, it's on uh, the casino. is on the corner of Washington Street and 2nd Ave. This was in the Pioneer Square days, and it was known as the only place on the West Coast that was open and free for gay people. And this was in the 30s. Okay. So before San Francisco, that's right, Jeremy, everything comes Before San Francisco even existed. That's right. On outside appearances, it was a straight cafe, pool hall, and card room, but it was nicknamed Madam Peabody's Dancing Academy for Young Ladies. And the casino was the only place in town that allowed same-sex dancing. Okay. There, in the there were 30s? Down, at, at around the same time that were very similar. It was the Garden of Allah. That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. the People's Theater, I think, was another one. And then, of course, later, Shelley's Lake. Shout out to Shelley's Lake. Yeah. Going back to Shirley Mazur, you can find Shirley Mazur talking a lot about the Garden of Allah. Oh, is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay. What that's a great cool. name, the Garden of Allah. Right. It just <laughs> sounds like ripe. Yeah, there were some good names. <laughs> Come on. Ripe. There were some good names that came out of the casino. Vilma, a frequent patron of the casino, came to Seattle at the age of 18 after friends who had traveled west told him about the city as a welcoming place for gay men. Two friends of mine visited Seattle and raved about it. That's all I heard. Seattle, Seattle, Seattle. And this fabulous place called the casino and all the neat kids there. Uh, Vilma hopped a boxcar and arrived in Seattle in June 1930. And I headed straight to the casino. I could hardly wait to get down those stairs. That's pretty cool, right? Go down those stairs. That's right. Uh -huh. Vilma recalls a darling old queen by the name of Hannah Banana. That's right. Hannah Banana. Jory, Hannah Banana, that name's popped up in your... Uh... It has. And I, I could be getting some of my stuff confused, but... Um, Hannah Banana. It's <laughs> funny to say, right? It is. It is. Giggle, giggle, giggle. 
was an interesting character. And around the same time, too, you could see a lot of news reports on people getting arrested. And I believe Hannah Banana might have been one of them at one point um, for various acts. I'll leave it at that. That's right. Um, <laughs> Hannah Banana came to Seattle in the Alaska Gold Rush in the late 1890s. How's that for you, Brad? Yeah. That's the turn of the Wait, century. Wild time. A gay man who lived in and out of drag, Hannah was always telling stories about how Seattle was always a ball and a hot town for gay people. She described Seattle as a party town with unlimited access to single yeah. male travelers. So so Seattle invented double entendres. That's <laughs> clearly. <laughs> clearly. By the 1930s, Hannah also frequented the casino where Vil Vilma remembers all the gay kids would treat Vilma like royalty. She'd listen to all their troubles and offer advice and camp it up and tell wild stories about her life. She was into lumberjacks. Oh, how she loved her lumberjacks! Exclamation point. And that's why everyone here wears flannels. That's right. Once again, Seattle invented flannel. We all know that. All right. What else you got? This is an awesome story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fucking awesome. All right, I got one more. Okay. World War II. Okay. World Where War do you II. want to be stationed in World War II if you're Brad? Seattle. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's the obvious answer. Considered... Not Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Already considered friendly to gays and lesbians, Seattle was an envied spot for gay men serving in World War II. A fellow named Len Trich recalled joining the Navy after the attack on Pearl Harbor. After joining the Navy, uh, brought Trich to Seattle. He was an operating room technician, served on a number of major landings, Pearl Harbor, Iwo Jima, and it was in the Navy that Trish received both his career and social education. This is a really cool quote from him. It was, um, I guess the way you look at the war versus how we look at the war, it was just a different feeling. The caring, the camaraderie, it's very hard to put into words. I began to understand sexual orientation and what it meant. When we were aboard ship, there was just a real affection for each other. We had a lot of young guys who were my age who were just wet behind the ears. And then you had the old salts. They had been across the equator, and they used words like homo and queer. And yet, there was a living quarters aboard ship that identified as being queer. And people were aware of that before they came in, especially some of the guys from bigger cities that had heard the stories. So for a kid coming from a town of 300 people to be in Seattle, and then in all these places and all the foreign parts of the world, oh yeah, that was an experience in education that money could never could buy. Mm. Pretty wow. Cool, right? Wow. Syndrome Pride runs too. deep in Seattle is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. We infiltrated into the fucking military. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, that's all I got. All at, right. at the 611, we used to get tons of guys from the Navy. It was very, very yeah. common. Anytime a ship would come into port, they'd all come down. Not all. <clears throat> Certain. Yeah. Demographics would come down when the ships would be important. They'd, they'd hang out at the six. And uh, my dad always liked I, I used to ask my dad, Why do you have so many? He had this huge collection of $2 bills. He said, That's because they used to pay the Navy in $2 bills. Oh, oh wow. And, and, wow. And, and I, said, I, I said, Oh, I didn't know. He said, Yeah, they, they all visited the six. Nice. For. Various reasons, beers sure. and 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 sure. other entertainment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, especially Pioneer Square is a very yeah. kind of seedy, notorious yep. kind of. Yeah. 
Still, still does a little cool. bit. Yeah. 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 If you're on on leave on shore leave, that's Damn probably straight. a good place to start. Yeah. Nice. Get a few beers. Have a little fun. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, we're getting ready to knock it on the head. We're about ready to land this plane. Anything right. else, Dave or Jory, that you'd like to say about yeah. the press or? No, I think that's about it. I mean, I think though we do just have to say thank you for you know carrying on the legacy yes, of please. the crescent and creating a space that everybody is welcome but especially yeah. the queer yeah. community can feel like they belong there you yeah. know so. i love the crescent you know and i think we, we were talking a little bit uh, in, in between the, the sessions here off mic uh, that and i want to reiterate it you know, on the microphone that you know, we have our vision, and we have my family's vision, the kind of the legacy of my dad that he that he brought to this bar. But, but the vision is only one thing. What actually keeps it going is our customers, right? And, yeah. And so we we it's definitely all about shout the out to the customers, right? Yep. It's a, all all of our longtime regulars, and, and and even the new the new people who have come in and made this their home. That's what actually keeps the bar going, right? And, that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here talking right now. Yeah. Well, thank you for inviting yeah, us you. tonight. It was uh, an, an honor, honor to be yeah. here. And, you know, this, uh, we're recording this towards the end of May, but we're going to be releasing it in the beginning of June. So with that, uh, happy Pride Month. Yeah, happy Pride Month. Yeah, sure. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Yeah. yeah, and let's give a shout out. Right now, it's kind of mellow. The karaoke hasn't started up yet. It's just kind of <laughs> us <laughs> drinking. But uh, in a month, this place is going to be oh, it's it, going to be it, fucking crazy. Sardines. What, what's the scene here uh, during the Pride uh, events? So during the Pride event, very, very busy. It's, it's you know, honestly, a lot, a lot of the times it's going to be uh, kind of standing room, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, but, but they're fun. We still have a good time. Uh, you know, we're a small bar, but we, we, we like to have a lot, a lot of fun. Karaoke seven nights a week. Karaoke seven nights Hell a week. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Come on down to the Crescent Lounge and get down. All right. With that. I think let's close it out. Satan's Pilgrims, take us out.